so many people hate their own response to the following question. So what does your company actually do? Because in this moment, my friend, you have three options, okay? Number one, pitch slap your prospect. Number two, fumble your way through a long-winded response. And number three, deliver a punchy elevator story that sparks intrigue. Now, if you're nodding your head at number three, but you're like, hold up, I don't even know where to begin, then hey, don't worry. I've got your back. All right, head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash your elevator story to unlock your very own free elevator story script, template, and guide. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. She grew up in poverty. She was homeschooled until the seventh grade. And she didn't even finish high school. A few years later, she was studying speech communication at the University of Utah and then later thrown into the world of leadership at a tech startup over in San Francisco. Now, get this, people. She's surrounded by the best of the best, but secretly, behind closed doors, she felt like an imposter. You know what I'm talking about, right? That feeling of, being exposed as a fraud, or feeling like you just don't belong. But for Amber Dybert, imposter syndrome was the gift she didn't know she actually needed. She overcame it, and now she helps enterprise sellers get out of their own way, climb their personal mountain, and unlock their sales potential. Amber is my guest for today, and she's going to teach us how to rewire your story and make imposter syndrome your superpower. Welcome to the show, my friend. What's good? It's so good to see you, Ravi. I ha- it's so amazing to like witness you live and in person. And hearing you talk about me, it's so interesting because all that imposter syndrome comes up of like, no, 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 no. You can't be talking about me. Like, really? Is that really my story? But you're exactly right. That's exactly it. You know what I love about you? And I think I might have said this offline or in the DM somewhere. Because you lead so openly with vulnerability, you give everybody else the permission around you to exchange that story or feel the same way. So I think that's another superpower of yours. And yeah, your story is legit, my friend. It's so, so cool. And when I was reading your about section, I was like, okay, I can't wait to dig deep into her story. And I think this is long overdue, us connecting anyway, right? Yes, definitely. Long time, my friend, long time. So let's start here. Let's start here. What I'm curious about is, is what's one part of Amber's story that we need more context on to get a better understanding of who she is today? Something that I haven't read about. That's a good question. And I'm like struggling because I really, there's so many things that I didn't want to share with people. I remember, we're going to talk about this later, but living in San Francisco, I didn't want people to know that I had grown up poor. I felt like they were going to find out they were going to like, and then they were going to kick me out. They're going to be like, oh, you're actually not supposed to be here, which is like a normal sign of imposter syndrome. I think one other thing that's kind of interesting is I was one of six kids. And so it was, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) doggy dog out there. (laughs) 
like, especially living in poverty, eight, a family of eight growing up on $12,000 annually in the 90s in the US. I mean, it was the 90s, but it's still not a lot of money. So yeah, I think really just my childhood experience of not only being in poverty, so not having the resources, but also being homeschooled. So it was like bubble after bubble after bubble. I was just like so separated from the world that I really think that is what has become my superpower. Now I can't help but observe because I feel like such an outsider. I don't think I feel like an outsider so much anymore, but for the longest time, I felt like such an outsider. And so books were my way of learning how to operate in this world and observing people and being really super aware of how people behaved and what they did and what different people had and how like how this person behaves versus how that person behaves and how can it be more of that because that's what I want. I think all of that kind of like insular childhood that I had was what created who I am today. And I, it's so interesting. I have such a hard time. Like you and I were talking about tactics versus talking about kind of the behind the scenes. And I have such a hard time talking about the actual content that people are talking about. Like, I love your content. And I feel like it really is difficult for me to comment on the actual content because I always want to be like, oh my gosh, like that video was so good. Or like, I love the way that you did the captions. Like the captions really made me feel emotions. And, you know, like I, I have such a hard time, like not going into like what's going on behind the scenes and like, how is this human psyche affected by what you're doing? Well, I think that's why you're able to cut through the noise and speak to people in a way which is beyond the tactics. And when I, when I really think about your story, the crazy thing is, and I'm putting yourself myself in your shoes for a second, is imagine growing up in poverty, as you described it, and then being in a room with people who have Ivy League backgrounds, the cream of the crop, I think that's the phrase. And that gap that we spoke about and the larger the gap of who you were yesterday and who you are today, arguably the larger the imposter syndrome. So when were you open about it? And when did you know it was imposter syndrome? Did you describe it as something else beforehand? I'm curious. Yeah, no, it's such a good call out because I think for so many people like myself, when we experience that imposter syndrome, we think it's just us. Like we think it's just, I remember for me, it was, there was such a disconnect between how I felt and how I perceived other people felt. And I didn't understand that disconnect. I didn't understand why they seemed so much more confident than me. Hmm. And I assumed it was like a number of things, like they had better parents or better background or went to a better school or what they just like were born with more confidence. It was just in their genes that they were a more confident person. And I wasn't that. And I was always trying to understand this disconnect. And I just, I had to assume like, well, I guess this is just who I am. I just wasn't born with it. And so that's why I feel this way. And that's the big misconception. And it's so interesting that you call this out because I think for a long time, I didn't know that I had imposter syndrome. I started hearing it talked about. This was probably like, what, 2014, 2015. It started getting more popular. And I was like, oh, wait, that's what I have. But I also feel like people are talking about imposter syndrome a lot more now, but they're not talking about what to do with it. It started to become normalized, but you're like, okay, I feel like crap. And what do I like? And I'm just supposed to stay like this. And I think the big message that I'm trying to tell people is that I always say it's not a hardware defect. It's a software defect. Mm. It's not who you are. It's your mindset. And you can update the software. The hardware is fine. We just need to update the software to like get that bug out. 
So speaking of that infection to the software, how do you personally describe imposter syndrome? Like what's your personal definition of it? For me, imposter syndrome shows up in three different flavors. And you either have like one of these is really prevalent or you have all three. So the first way it shows up is you feel like a fraud. You feel like people are going to find out that you're making it all up. You don't know what you're doing. They're going to come in and be like, we found you out. Like you're making all this up. You're out. So that's the first one. The second one is you feel like you just got lucky. You were just in the right place at the right time. It wasn't because of anything that you did. It was just like luck and happenstance that you had happened to get this position or this promotion. And the people who put you in that position were temporarily incompetent. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't fully understand that they were putting you in that position and what the consequences would be. The third way that imposter syndrome shows up is that you downplay everything. You downplay all your achievements. My favorite example of this was someone who got a PhD in rocket science and was like, oh, it's no big deal. Anybody could have done it. And we like, that's an extreme example, but we all do that. Like, oh, it's like, I'm not anything special. Anybody could have done it. And the debate that I always have with that is that, yes, it probably is possible that other people could have done it, but not many people would have done what you did to get where you are. So those are the three flavors. And then the other component of imposter syndrome that always shows up is you feel like the odd one out somehow. Your background is different than the people in the same room as you. You look different than the people that are in the same room as you. Somehow you feel like you're the odd one out and you don't belong there. Why I find this fascinating is, is let's take it to me being a new dad. Seven months in, crazy, crazy, crazy roller coaster. But I, I've, never, I've never been a father before. So this is new territory. And if we are going out and experiencing growth in our life, however, however we want to define that, is it not normal to have that software infection? Ravi, it's so normal. So then actually, is it a case of getting rid of that software bug? Or actually, should we get used to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable? That's exactly it. I always tell people, first of all, imposter syndrome is a sign of success. Yeah. You will never feel imposter syndrome unless you've got that next promotion, got that next job, got that next project. Like you cannot feel like an imposter if you're complacent. People who are complacent in their careers, which for most of us is like, sounds like a curse word. Like people who are complacent never experience imposter syndrome because they're never growing. You only experience imposter syndrome if you are a wild success. So first of all, give yourself a pat on the back. You're a wild success. But second of all, imposter syndrome is a passing phase. Imposter syndrome only lasts while you're learning that new skill. Once you've learned the new skill, it's gone. Like you can look back to any time in your career in the past, the first time you signed a client, the first time you sent a proposal, the first demo you did, the first cold calling you did, and it was terrifying. And then you did it hundreds of times or 50 times, and now it's not terrifying anymore. You feel it's totally comfortable. So imposter syndrome is a passing phase. It only lasts while you're in that growth phase, and then it just disappears. Okay, now what I'm curious to know is, is okay, somebody makes that cold call. They get the yeah. reps in. And now that behavior has been normalized. Yes. So they're sitting there and they're like, well, this once triggered the amygdala. Now I'm cool. I'm cool, dude. I'm sitting here. I'm complacent. And they say, you know what? Actually, I'm going to put myself in a new scenario where I'm going to grow and I'm going to keep doing that. Now, is there a level of... 
I don't even know if this is a right word, but unhealthiness. I think that's a word, right? Unhealthiness to constantly wanting to grow and constantly being in a place of feeling like an imposter. Do we need that gap to actually reflect, project, and actually then decide to go to the next level? Is there an addiction to the growth and an addiction to feeling that? I definitely think so. I mean, for myself, I always have this chip on my shoulder of like, when I can achieve, then I somehow like it will fill this gaping hole inside of me. Yeah. Of like not being worthy, not being lovable, whatever. And so I think we need to close up that hole. But I think what you pointed out points out another interesting thing of there are people that I talk to and they're like, I've had massive imposters in my entire career. Yeah. And I instantly know that their career trajectory has been a hockey stick. Hmm. Because they've constantly been growing. They've constantly been out of their comfort zone. And so if they tell me this is something that's just inherent in me, it's something that I've always experienced. Yeah. I know that that means they just have grown quickly in their career and probably passed up all of their peers. Yeah, that's very interesting type. It's not something inherent. It's just the environment that you're in. You're constantly growing. I love this. This is so interesting. I've never had a conversation like this with somebody on the show. So this is this is really... This is feeding my soul, my friend. This is feeding my soul. So yeah. what are the, ne- <clears throat> what are, sounded like Pinocchio there, hadn't hit puberty. Let's, let's, uh, don't edit that people. We want people to see imperfection. Okay. So editors real- do not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hey man, what's going on? So what are the physical and mental manifestations of dwelling in the feeling that I'm a fraud? I'm going to be exposed, et cetera. If we sit with that and we don't change the narrative, what have you seen from the people that you've coached, the negative consequences? So the way I, I'm a big into analogies and the way I always think about it is it's like, so I love that you pointed out, we're not going to eliminate imposter syndrome. It's actually not the goal. The goal is to just not let imposter syndrome weigh us down. So what I always think about is it's as if you are swimming and you're swimming in like, a prom dress. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or like a full tuxedo. You're okay. like fully clothed. So like selling is not an easy thing. It's not something you just coast and it just happens. And like, it's amazing. Like it does, mm. it's strenuous. It does take mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. but, and so it's like swimming, swimming takes work, right? You're not just going to coast the whole way. You have to actually work at it, but you don't have to swim with all this extra drag on top. Trying to swim through the water in full gala gown, whatever, you know, like I'm imagining something huge, like you're trying to swim and you're just like drowning and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't keep doing this. And it's not that it's not that you can't keep selling. It's that you have to drop all of that drag and it's still going to be strenuous to swim, but like, let's put you in a speedo, right? Like let's put you in something that like doesn't have all that drag and you can go much further and it's not going to be as strenuous for you. Uh, Side, side note: Have you seen the movie? She's the man with Amanda Bynes. Yes. A long time ago. <laughs> I, My wife and I find that movie hilarious. So we watch it probably yeah. a bit too frequently, but it reminds me of when she's playing football uh, in the prom dress or soccer in the prom dress yeah. and she she yeah. can't, right? It's weighing her down. So yeah, sorry, I digress. But um, yeah. okay, I like, I like that analogy. I like that analogy. Now, when it comes to us being the stories that we tell ourselves, I think it's fascinating because I really think it's the truth. So when you're working, you know, in a one-to-one capacity with an elite enterprise seller and they are telling themselves a story about imposter syndrome or who they are, et cetera, 
What is your go-to process for rewiring that either limiting belief or story and shifting it to a more positive one that actually serves them? You know what? This is my favorite part because I feel like, well, a lot of people look at coaching. They're like, oh, I don't know if I have the time or the energy or the, I don't know if I can put everything into it. But so much of what we do as coaches is we help people have a paradigm shift. Like, I'm sure you do the same thing with your clients. They're like, I don't know. I don't want to get up in front of somebody and like tell my story. That seems very vulnerable. But if you help them think about it in a different way, it's like they can't unsee it. So for example, I had one client who um, was a strategic enterprise seller and was the top person at his entire organization and had major imposter syndrome. And one of the reasons that he had met imposter syndrome was that he was an introvert. And he was like, I'm not supposed to be in sales as an introvert. Like, you're supposed to be an extrovert in sales and like want to go to dinner with your clients. And like, that's not who I am. And my perspective of introverts is that introverts are really good at going deep in conversations. They love deep relationships. They'd rather have fewer, deeper relationships than like more shallow relationships. And strategic account executives need to be able to build those deep relationships. That's what sales is all about. It's all about relationships. And so when I helped him see your introversion is not interfering with your ability to be successful, your introversion actually is your superpower, especially as a strategic account executive. Like if you were in commercial sales, probably a different story, but like you need to be building deep relationships to be able to land these accounts. And sure enough, when he fixed that, he went and had a seven figure year. This reminds me of this individual that I worked with a few years ago now. And he had a belief that I'm an introvert. I'm not a good storyteller or speaker. And it all boiled down to finding evidence which supported the new narrative and anchoring that. But also you can't be often what you can't see. So when he saw people like Simon Sinek, for example, who's not like, like, you know, he's not that sort of a guy, right? He's very thoughtful, intentional. And he was like, oh, wow, that person's charismatic. But it's not, quote unquote, the definition of charismatic that we often think of. And we think of charisma. We think of performers, people on stage who are just maybe loud. But I digress. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is what you've just mentioned can go to any walk of life, Mm -hmm. right? When it comes to shifting the narrative. And it's really interesting that this person was the top AE, Mm -hmm. seven-figure earner, yet didn't feel, I know, lack of a better word, enough in that moment. But then you took them to this place. The question is, is once they got to the place, the promised land, did they feel enough? Did they give themselves credit once they hit that goal? Or was it, "Mm, no, now I need to earn multiple millions. Did they shift the goal? Uh, Well, this particular person went and did two more years as a seven-figure earner and quit their job and now teaches other people how to do it. Got you. Okay. Right. So they, they, I love this conversation that you're having. I've like been making this mental shift myself of for, I feel like for the last few years, all of us are talking about how to achieve, how to achieve, how to succeed, how to succeed, how to succeed. And I actually had someone call me out on this and he was like, but how are you at being? And I was like, you got me. Like literally my podcast is named the achievers podcast because I'm so focused on achieving And that really is the next shift, I think, for all of us is realizing that there is no achievement that's going to fill this gaping hole inside of us. And the only thing that will fill the hole is if we are finding a way to be content with being 
You know, it's not about the milestones. The milestones are always going to move out. You hit one and then there's a one that's further away. You hit that one, that one that's further away. Like you never actually achieve what you want to achieve. And for people like myself, you're only as good as your last big success. So you're always chasing more successes. There's no successes that you've had that are like, okay, cool. I'm good now. So like the, I think the big thing for us now is to like, just be and be okay with being and okay with ourselves no matter what's happening outside of us. I love that. And I think there's a movement happening right now. And you're definitely one of the core people driving this message home, in my opinion. But there's a lead, there's a there's a movement right now, I think, where people are focusing on being intentional about what you want to attract into your world. I'm talking about money, people, opportunities, and not less is more, but a mixture of that, a mixture of minimalism, a mixture of it is, you know, including spirituality into your day to day. And I think it's fascinating because I think when I was growing up anyway, I often chased things out of not fitting enough, things driven from ego and desiring status to make me feel feel accepted or enough. But when I started shifting to what does Ravi want, what's right for Ravi and what's in alignment, but more importantly, hanging around with people who validated the values that I wanted to embody, it shifted. Because you hang around people that just, you know, value money and, you know, you're going to constantly be chasing money. So I think that's interesting. What do you think when you, when you hear that? What comes up for you? Yeah, I just keep thinking belonging, belonging, belonging. Mm. If you are with a group, and that's what they value. You want to feel like you belong in the group. So you start to yeah. value those things as well. A friend told me it's called signaling. Like yeah. I wear the same clothes as you to signal that I fit into your group or I had yes. drive the same car as you or I whatever. <laughs> like I was joking with a friend. I was like, I have like the basic suburban mom starter package. Like everything. I'm like, I the I there, I I've done it. I'm exactly the yeah. status quo for there. And it's interesting when you do stop and think about like, what does fulfillment feel like for you? And what does satisfaction feel like for you? And I feel like it's also probably like the time of life for most of us. Like we've got families. We we aren't in our early 20s ready to just like grind it out and like achieve as much as we possibly can. And now we're like, oh man, like there's more behind me than there is ahead of me probably in my career. And what 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 do I want to optimize for at this time of my life? I think you might resonate with this and I'd love to get your take. I was working with a coach last year and one of the things that a specific coach and one of the things that she was working on with me and just, you know, we were talking about like this really in general was how can you shift and make a quantum leap into that next version of you, right? And to, you know, you may feel like you want to optimize for family and health, but maybe you're stuck in this career where you just feel like you're trapped. You're in the wealth trap, right? But one of the things that we spoke about was how can you think about the person you want to become and think about what character traits they need to embody and how you make decisions today. Can you make a decision from that human being? What decision yes. would that human being do in this situation? And gradually you start to migrate. What's your take? For example, a seller who wants to shift their identity, but it's like, but how Amber, how do I do that? Yeah. What would be your, what would be your take on that? I do exactly what you talk about. I think it's really helpful to imagine yourself in the future, having hit a particular milestone and then embody that person. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they surrounded by? How do they spend their time? 
And what's super interesting is like all the time we're like, man, once I get to that point, whatever that point is, like I'll feel confident. Well, that's what we imagine. But when you imagine how you would feel after having achieved that, it's usually actually more of like an ease and a calm. And so when you imagine how this future person is feeling, the future version of you is feeling, first of all, you can go and ask them for their advice. Like, hey, how, how do I how do I get to where you are? What decisions do I make? And they usually have very good advice for you, which is kind of woo, but I appreciate it. And then you can start to embody how they're feeling now. Think the same thoughts that that future version of you is thinking. Feel the same way that your that future version of you is feeling. Design your schedule the same way. And it helps you to get out of like a lot of my clients right now, I feel like have, they're stuck in the hamster wheel. They're constantly active. They're very busy. They're feeling burnt out. But when they look back, they're like, I didn't make any progress. I don't know. Like I'm not making progress in any particular direction. I'm just constantly busy, not spending my time how I want to be spending my time and just stuck in this like kind of busy, frantic, worried, scarce place. And so once you start thinking about your future self and how they spend their time, they're probably a lot more strategic about where they spend their time. They probably cut out a lot more fluff and are very focused on getting the most important things done so that they have the time that they want to spend on other things. Oh, I feel like you you and I could just probably sit with, I don't know, yeah. marshmallows and coffee and just chill for like half a day just talking about this. But you know what's right. interesting for me? Well, actually, what was coming up for me, which I thought was interesting as you were talking, was this idea of shifting your calendar to reflect the priorities that that individual would embody. And then also having a conversation with that human being and be like, yo, listen, I want to get to where you are. What's good? Like, what did you do? And all that good stuff, right? Which is mm-hmm. fascinating. I've never heard that. That is really, really cool. And it just leads me to think about the following thing where if we truly feel enough, there's a level of contentment. If we truly slow down, ideas come to us. And it leads me to thinking about the ideas that are coming to us, the goals that are coming to us as we're sitting in solitude. It can often lead us to climbing the right mountain in our life versus when things are busy and we're allowing things to happen to us, we can allow other people's mountains and mountain envy create a feeling of, hey, I'm going to chase that because that person looks like they've got their stuff together, right? So how can somebody or what questions rather can somebody ask themselves who's listening to this right now? What questions can they ask themselves today to ensure that they are climbing the right mountain, not the mountain they think they should be climbing in this season of their life? You touched on two really, really important things. And I want to talk about both of them. One of them is you talked about like having spaciousness to be able to Mm. sit in solitude and think. And that is a luxury that most people don't have. And Mm. that is a game changer. I don't care who you are. You need to have that space to sit and think. So our brains have two different modes. There's a focused mode and a diffused mode. Okay. When we're listening to podcasts, talking to somebody, working, we're in focused modes and we're taking in information. Diffused mm. mode is like that daydreamy state when you're in the mm. shower, yeah. when you're walking without listening to a podcast, when you're driving. That's when we have our best ideas because that's the only space that we give ourselves to just think. And when you can give yourself space to be in that daydreamy phase, 
what your brain does is it takes all the information that you've taken in and it combines it in new ways to solve your problems. So first of all, I think it's so, so critical, especially for enterprise and strategic account executives to have that spaciousness because that literally, like you feel like, well, I'm not working right now. I'm just staring at the wall. But that is the most important work you can be doing, especially in a strategic role to be able to just sit and like noodle on things and let them come apart. I have a hard time just actually sitting. So I'll just go for a walk, but like not bring my phone, not take it with me so that I am forced to not listen to a podcast or audiobook. And I just have to be with my thoughts. But that's when I solve all the best problems. Cut, pause, or whatever we need to say for me to get your attention. Because before we get back to the show, I have some breaking news. Okay, listen, ladies and gents, feature selling is dead. And story selling is alive. Because if you really want to build trust, stand out, and close more deals in a recession, then you need to try something new so you can drive your company to a world of efficiency and profitability. And that's exactly why I've opened up many slots this year for different companies to partner with me for implementing my story selling framework inside of their sales process. Now, the outcomes are all the good stuff. I'm talking about increasing average order value, collapsing time inside of your sales cycle and driving win rates. But more importantly, transforming your team to sell in a way that really focuses on human connection. And hey, that's what I'm all about. So if you're nodding your head right now, then head on down to www.theravirajani.com forward slash contact to book your complimentary discovery call to see if there's alignment. And hey, if there is, great. And if there's not, that's cool too. I'll see you on the other side. So I wanted to point that out. The second thing that you talked about is how do we know that we're climbing the right mountain? And the thing that I focus on with my clients is helping them figure out how they individually work best. So I have a theory about this. I think that we as humans do best when we expend our mental energy in a similar way that we like to expend our physical energy. So I ask every client, what's your favorite form of exercise, regardless of whether you do it or not? What is it for you, Robbie? Well, right now I've hired a boxing and trainer. I keep saying Ravi. Right? It's Ravi. I'm going to no, say they're, Sorry. They're both cool. Honestly, they're both, they're both good. They're both good. But boxing, one of the things that I've hired is a boxing trainer for several reasons, which we can talk to. But uh, boxing right now is something I'm really enjoying. Why do you enjoy boxing? Like, Give me an idea of what your workouts look like. I get in. I do 10 minutes of cycling. And then I hit the bags and then I do technique work. And then I go for gold of three to four rounds of literally sweating it out. And then I walk out feeling like an amateur and realizing that it's great to be a student. And how long is this from like cycling to walking out of the gym? Uh, One hour. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So this is super interesting. So it sounds like intensity when you're doing your cycling, is that like a mellow kind of warm up into it? You're thinking about it. Yeah, it's five minutes, it's chill, then there's a stretch, and then, yeah, then we get into it. Yeah. And do you enjoy boxing because of the intensity, because of the, like, increased heart rate for a while? I got into boxing, and I was like, holy mother, this is more cardio than I ever imagined. Oh, my gosh. My nervous system after the first session, had it, it was just everywhere. But why do I enjoy it? I love the movie Creed and I like to think that I box like Michael B. Jordan, but that's not the truth. And the second second reason is as a new dad, 
I want to make sure I get the heart pumping. So this does that because I hate running, Amber. I hate running. I can't, I just don't enjoy it. This is my way to get my sweat on. Yeah. So yeah, intensity sounds like it's a big thing for you, but intensity in a shorter period of time. So I, so I want to give you the example of like someone who's an endurance athlete who maybe like runs marathons versus somebody who enjoys CrossFit. Okay. The endurance athlete, what's key for them when they exercise is planning everything in advance. They need to spend a okay. lot of time in the planning phase because they can't get like 15 miles into the run and be like, you know what? I'd like some different clothes, <laughs> you know, or like, oh, I forgot to think about food. What am I going to eat here? Or what, like, uh, where am I going to stop for water? So they need to plan ahead of time and then they just get in the zone and crank it out when they're doing the actual activity okay. versus a CrossFitter doesn't have to plan as much. They need to have a vague idea of what they're doing. And then they execute in short bursts. You're interesting because you have this kind of like warm up phase of like getting into it, thinking about it, doing it. And then the actual execution is very intense and for a short burst of time. And I can imagine that your workflow looks like that as well. Oh, you're probably like writing scripts, thinking about it. And then like the actual like you're on, you're like recording, you're in it, right? Yeah. But so I think it's so important to match your your energy wavelength with your like exercise expenditure and the same way with your mental expenditure. Mm. And I think where people go wrong, where they're climbing the wrong mountain is that they're trying to be somebody that they're not. Yes. They see the endurance athletes and they're like, oh, well, I should do it that way. I need to have this very intense planning session. I need to be planning everything in advance. I need to be like doing this. And then I need to have deep work for hours. And that's how I be successful. That's that's the path to success. But for them, that is miserable. It's not the mountain that they're going to be successful climbing because that's just not who they are. They're more of a CrossFitter. They need to use a Pomodoro technique and have short bursts of intensity and then take a break. And then short bursts of intensity and then take a break. Short burst. And they get a lot more done in two hours than they would over eight hours if they're just focused and crank out their work. So I think to like really bring all this back, I think where people go wrong today is that they are climbing somebody else's mountain because they think that that's going to make them happy and that's what's going to bring them success. And I think we really have to get real with who are you? Ramit said he talks about this in his book. Mm. I'll teach you how to get rich. I will teach you to be rich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about creating your rich life. What is your rich life? What does that look like for you? It might not be fancy cars. It might be fancy shoes, or it might be golfing all the time, or it might be going to music festivals. And, and he says, you know, when you found your rich life, because other people don't want it. They're so confused. Like, oh, why would you want to spend all your money going to music festivals? Like, that sounds so dumb. Wouldn't you rather have a house instead? Like, you know, when you found what you want, because other people can't understand it. And I think that's the same for, for our lives and for our careers. Like, be so specific that other people are like turned off by what you want, because it's so specific to you. Oh, Amber, I mean, people, you need to go back and you need to rewind. All right. Because that was just so good. And I'll tell you why. Actually, before I tell you why, are you big on human design? Yes, I'm a projector. Oh, same. I'm a projector. I'm a projector. So, so funny. As you were describing my boxing routine, I work in short, sharp, 
bouts of intensity, but I need a lot of recovery time in solitude. But the time that I'm focused, I can get probably a lot more done than somebody who, I don't know, isn't a projector. So it, I am, you're a projector too? Oh, that's yeah, crazy. Same, same. I, I My work schedule is the same. I actually only work 20 hours a week. Yep. And as my business have grow, has grown, I'm like, maybe I should work more. But I genuinely am not going to get more work done if I work more hours. I am the kind of person that works in short bursts and I get more done in three hours than somebody else would get done in nine. Oh, we need to talk about this offline. That is so cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So for those listening, maybe you've seen Gary Vaynerchuk. And you're like, oh, this dude is all about the hustle. He's putting out content on multiple different platforms. He's doing this. He's doing that. And maybe a part of you feels like, well, why don't I have that operating system? Why can I not work 20 hours per day? Why can I not? And what's interesting here is Amber's taking you back to what is right for you as a human being, what you actually want and your operating system. And hey, listen, people, from a person who started his corporate sales career in investment banking on the trading floor and wondering why I couldn't stay out till 4am and, you know, 3am and get to the desk back at seven. Like I was like, why, why am I different here? I feel you, but listen, you need to rewind what Amber just said, because that is absolutely gold. I love that. I love that. Now, when somebody climbs that mountain, what I often find is, is sometimes somebody needs to climb a specific mountain to learn a specific lesson to then really feel the calmness and confidence to go after what's right for them. Meaning how many times, Amber, have we heard the story of somebody who goes from zero to eight figures and then burns out and then becomes a monk, right? And somebody said something interesting. They said, it's funny how millionaires go to monks for advice, but monks don't go to millionaires for advice. So the question here is, is, does somebody have to go out there and chase the shiny things in life to then come to that realization? Or can they learn that lesson and catch themselves before they experience some of the things such as burnout? It's such a good question. And I feel like, like, let's get out the s'mores. Let's like get out the campfire. Like, I'd love to theorize on this with you. My, my gut instinct is like, you're not going to burn out if you're working in a way that's authentic to you. And I think this is the shift that I'm trying to make for myself. And I feel like most people are, is like, we've achieved like, like I'm, I'm no longer a college student who can't afford to go buy an $8 burrito. You know, like I am fine. The, the issue of money is off the table. Any more achievements aren't going to add to the happiness of my life. Does that mean I'm not going to chase them? No, of course I'm going to keep chasing them because it's fun. But I think it's the transition from if I achieve this, then I'm different somehow. Like that means I'm more worthy. I'm more worthwhile. I'm more lovable. Making the transition from knowing that any outside achievement is not going to change who you are. And instead just doing it because it's fun. Like doing it because I want to get my personal best. And I know like for me, entrepreneurship is the number one personal development thing I've ever done. There's nothing like owning your own business to like rip your heart out and <laughs> teach you everything about yourself. And so I do it because I enjoy developing. I enjoy growing. And I'm trying to make the transition from thinking that it's going to mean anything different about me and instead just doing it because it's fun. It's what I want to do. It's how I want to spend my time. What if it does change who you are? What if you've been wanting something and you get it and suddenly it does change who you are for the worse or for the better? Is that 
good? Is it bad? Is it nothing? Does it mean actually just magnifying who we were in the first place? Because you always hear about sometimes people running into a lot of money and then they're like, oh, that person's a jerk. Well, actually, maybe they were just a jerk in the first place. Now it's just magnified who they are. So talk to that for a second. What's your take on that? So I remember before when I had my corporate job and I wanted to quit and I wanted to start this coaching business and I had my dream schedule laid out. I had a new baby who was probably about seven months old Yeah. and I was like, I want to spend more time with him. And so my dream schedule was I would work from about nine to four and I'd have Fridays off to hang out with my son. And I tried it for a while and I had those Fridays off and I was like, turns out... (laughs) I'd rather be working. <laughs> I adore him. Yeah. And I want to spend time with him, but like the afternoons were fine. So then I adjusted. Like that was my projection of what I wanted. And I got there and I was like, no, I'm kind of like resenting my son. And I don't want to resent him and have him feel like it's his fault that I'm not happy. I'm going to go and find my own happiness. And so I can be the best mom for him. And so I think like thinking about what you were asking, to me, I always think it's it's so helpful to have a hypothesis of what you think you want. Yes. Hypothesis. I like that. Yeah. And then when you get there, you adjust it. You find out, is this actually what I wanted? Is this not what I wanted? Yeah. And so like, I found out like, oh, actually my hypothesis was just a little bit off. I just need to shift it to having, now I work nine to two and I work every day and every afternoon I hang out with my kids and we have a blast. And so I think it's really helpful to have a hypothesis of where you want to go and then continually shift it. But it's, It's changing from focusing on the destination to focusing Mm. on the journey. Yes. Sorry, did I cut you off? Were you going to say something else? I'm just, no, okay. I just gave a pause for the profound nature of what I said. And scene. You know what I love about your energy? And I hope those of you listening can pick up on this as well is Amber's energy, I feel, is very calming and anchored in a knowing of who she is and deep self-trust. Now, I think often we look at the vision board and we say, I want this job and I want that so I can feel a certain way. So we chase goals instead of a feeling. And I think if we can reverse engineer the feeling, we can realize we are that human being already today, right? So what's your take on setting goals? Is it because it's a goal setting, goals this, goals that. Should we set goals or should we allow things to unfold? And if we allow things to unfold, how can we do it without being woo-woo and here, there and everywhere? Yeah. So I, my actual, like at the beginning of the year, I don't really set New Year's resolutions, but I did decide my goal, I guess, or the feeling that I'm chasing is peace of mind. Hmm. And it's really interesting to think about what would peace of mind look like for me? Yeah. Well, it would mean that my business would achieve a certain status or a certain revenue. It would mean that my schedule would look a certain way. It would mean that I would feel a certain way about myself. And so it's interesting because once I kind of identified peace of mind is what I'm seeking, then it's kind of like all the other goals, I guess, like all the like physical things that you can check off the, off the list, all those things would come into line as well. So I don't know. I'm, I kind of hate the word goals yeah. because I feel like it gets us into this rat race of like always trying to like fill that black hole of like worthiness that's never going to be filled. And so it is kind of like, yeah, what is the feeling I want to feel? And there's study after study after study after study that shows like I'm reading The Happiness Advantage right now. It's kind of an older book. And it talks about how we always think that when we achieve the particular thing, we're going to feel happy. 
when actually that doesn't happen because the mile marker just keeps moving further and further away. And in fact, if you can feel happy, you're so much more likely to achieve the thing. The thing that's so interesting, like, so let's imagine somebody who wants to lose weight. They're like, if I can only lose a hundred pounds, then I'll feel happy. But the thing is you could go through all the work to lose the hundred pounds and you'd still have the same brain. Your brain doesn't just like change once you lose a hundred pounds and suddenly you're happy. So you have to change the way that you're thinking about things now. And not only will that get you what you're looking for, because the reason we're doing all of this is to feel happy. So you'll get it right away without having to like go through all the work of achieving the thing, but it will also make you so much more likely that you're going to achieve the thing. What if somebody's secretly scared to be happy and secretly scared of success? That's a, it's a real thing. Have you read The Big Leap? I haven't. It's a good one. So it talks about this upper limit problem of like, we have this okay. glass ceiling of like where we're comfortable as far as happiness. Uh -huh. And I, I don't know about you, but I hit this all the time. Like, I'm like, everything is going so well in my business and I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like I should mm. be happy beyond belief right now because everything mm. on paper is going so well. And instead I have so much anxiety of like, oh my gosh, it's all going to blow up. Right? Like it, it really is changing your mental game updating your software system to be able to experience those emotions that you want to feel. And it doesn't take achieving external things to be able to feel how you want to feel. Oh, Amber, I need another 45 minutes. Like this, this yeah. actually needs a part two. And I don't say that all the time. Like this actually needs a part two. What I want to get your final take on before we go to my ultimate question is... When it comes to that concept of goal setting, what's your take on how to reduce the following occurring? Okay, so somebody logs onto LinkedIn. They see a fellow entrepreneur or salesperson saying, oh my God, I just had the best quarter. I achieved this. I made this and now I can do that. As a result, you get activated internally by that person's goal and you start shifting your strategy to achieve what they've got because you feel like it's going to make you happy. So how can somebody reduce that feeling and stay on course to their aligned path in a noisy world, which is constantly, I, give, I suppose, giving you the allure of shiny object syndrome? Yeah, it's such a good question. Because I think on the one hand, part of me is like, I don't know, maybe they should try it. I always think of like different careers as like trying on different hats. Like you're like trying this one. Okay. I'm like, does it fit? Oh, no, it's a little too big. Or this one, oh, yeah. it's too small. Or this one, mm. like it's a little too big in the front. Like my head doesn't fit this one. So I always think of it as like, yeah. I don't know, maybe they should try. Maybe they should see what it is. But I also think that there's a thing that happens with most of us where we like start going down a path and it gets different and we see a greener path. And so we go like we divert off of our path and we go try that. And then we divert off of that and we divert off of that. And we never really get anywhere. The way I think about it is like, if you have a circle, that's your energy. And let's imagine that there are six lines, like it's the sunshine. It's going six lines going off of your circle. You can t go one inch in six directions or an alternate circle. It's a circle with one line going six inches. You can spend your energy going six different directions in one inch, or you can spend your energy going one direction for six inches. Am I describing this right? I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Essentially, when you constrain your focus and cut out all the fluff, you will go so much further. But it's it's the discomfort. It's the growth and pushing through that discomfort of like, 
I might feel like an imposter. Like maybe I am an imposter. Maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be here, but every single person who has ever achieved what you want to achieve has gone through the same exact imposter syndrome. I mean, how funny is it with that analogy, how many, how you could relate it to the world of entrepreneurship? How many people struggle with niching down and serving one audience and they want to serve 50, right? It's it's exactly. the uh, it's the hardest thing. You know, the person who's really dangerous is the person who's specific and focused and has been doing it for 10 years versus the person who's like, oh, I'm going to do crypto. I'm going to do real estate. I'm going to do sales coaching, yeah. right? And you see that all the time. So, oh, I love this chat so much. I hate to say, ladies and gents, today is, well, I don't hate to say it, but today has honestly been one of my favorite episodes, really has. And I do do hate to say that our time is up, actually. But before I let you go, my friend, the show is called The Influential Communicator, as you know. So who do you personally look up to as an influential communicator and why? So many. I Well, I told you at the beginning, I love your videos. I'm always trying to do whatever I can because I just, you are so authentic. You're so funny. They're so engaging. They evoke so much emotion when you're watching them. So I would say you for videos for sure. I'm always loving Jamal Reimer's posts. He has such profound posts. They're so good. And I would say Brandon Fluarty is my favorite for carousels. I just, I'm Hmm. always blown away at the amount of value that he puts out there and how like well-designed and beautiful his content is and easily digestible. And it's like, this is this should be $500 that I should be paying you for this amazing content. So I'd say those are probably my top. Well, thank you, my friend, for the kind words. I receive that compliment with open arms. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And hey, you know, when you look at anybody's posts, if you are saying you should be charging for this, you know that they are somebody to follow. So ladies and gents, go check out those two dudes that Amber mentioned. And Amber, when it comes to your work, I can almost guarantee people are thinking right now, how can I gain a one-to-one session with Amber? So when, where can they learn more about the course that you offer? Where can they learn more about what you're up to right now? Uh, it's all on my website. I just launched a new website. It's mentalmastery.com. Come find me on LinkedIn. You can get links to everything. Beautiful. Go check her out on LinkedIn. And here's what I need you to do, people. Okay. I need you to do this wherever you're listening. Okay. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, my website. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to take a snapshot of where we are in the episode right now. I need you to then head on down to LinkedIn and tag Amber and myself and tell us what is the one thing that you took away from today's episode that has impacted you the most. Okay. Let us know. We will respond And I'll see you next week for another episode. Same time, same place. Peace. I have a question for you, my friend. And that question is, is what would it take to have you subscribe to the Influential Communicator podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice? Because I tell you what, my friend, my big mission is to help B2B sellers and all listeners of this show sell more by becoming influential storytellers and communicators without without suppressing their personality and disowning their value so hey the more the word gets out about this podcast the more people we can gather on this mission so if you could support me then hey that would be dope and if not that's dope too either way i got love for you all right i'll see you on the other side